Gibson Guitars is the iconic guitar company that was played by a couple of people you might have heard of, like Les Paul, Slash, B.B. King, Jimmy Page, Billy Gibbons, Bob Marley, and that's just to name a few. But did you know that the founder of Gibson Guitars actually has some ties to northern New York? Wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. Well, if you didn't, well, we're going to tell you all about it because I'm Matt. And I'm Meg. And this is the Your Town Podcast. <laughs> Orville H. Gibson was born in 1856 on a farm near Shattagay, which is in Franklin County, which is in the lovely state of New York. More specifically, though, near Shattagay is Earlville, which is actually a hamlet near the eastern town boundary on County Road 39. The youngest child of John W. and Amy Nichols Gibson, Orville was one of five children that were sharing a home with sisters Pluma and Emma and brothers Osro and Lavelle. That's what I'm going to go with. Cool names. I like them. John Orville's father was actually an immigrant from England and his mother Amy was from Peru, New York. Peru's near Plattsburgh. They actually had a really cool chicken wing place that I've been to, uh, Clippers. They had chicken wing on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Fantastic wings. Not sure if it's around, but if it is, shout out to you. When you read about Gibson Guitars, you're going to read that it was founded in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Spoiler alert, Orville moved there. Why he moved there? There is still kind of unclear, but it was uh, speculated that he moved there to help with his mental health issues that he was having going on. So he was out seeking help at Battle Creek to seek therapy at the world-famous health spa run by Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. Seriously, Kellogg, the same guy that actually invented the cornflakes, Kellogg cereal, and some other cereals that you probably actually heard of. Isn't that cool? That's pretty interesting. So maybe we'll actually do an episode upcoming about John, the doctor, Harvey Kellogg. Hmm. Doesn't have a lot of ties in northern New York, but maybe. But either way, he goes there and gets some help from the legendary serial doctor. Wouldn't that be cool to be called a serial doctor? <laughs> It has like it sounds like it could have like multiple meanings. Yes, I'm a serial doctor, the doctor <laughs> of serial. Hmm. All right, I have a new thing that I'm gonna aspire in life besides this podcast. Gibson was a luthier, a luther, luthier, luther. Ah, uh, sure. He's a woodworker luthier. with a with a special skill, and he loved to make instruments. In 1885, Orville had a job as a clerk at A.P. Sprague Shoe Store. It was located on 118 East Main Street. By 1893, he was working as a clerk at the Butters Restaurant on 216 East Main Street. Love East Main Street. His day jobs were supporting his hobby, and his hobby was soon to play a totally different role in his life. On May 11, 1896, Orville filed for his first and only patent. That document was U.S. patent number 598,245. It was issued on February 1st, 1898, and it contained... Speaking of patents, you guys should check out finlayhats.com. They have a patent actually on the grommets that go into the hat with laces. So they're built for good times. If you're out there snowboarding, you're out there skiing, you're out there on a boat, whatever it is, you can actually take these laces, put them under your chin, put it on there so you don't lose these hats. But if anything happens to the hats, they have a lifetime warranty. Who else is doing that on a hat? Finlay Hats. You can check them out, finlayhats.com. Use code BEARDLAWS. Not only going to save some money, you're going to save $10, not 10% off your first order. Cool company that was founded in 2013. They went from a two-person team working out of a living room to 18 people in a warehouse. Absolutely love them. Check them out again, finlayhats.com. Use code BEARDLAWS. His ideas for the construction of a mandolin with a carved top and back with the sides that were cut from a solid piece of wood rather than being bent from thin strips. Orville felt that the bent and multi-piece back of then-popular bullback mandolins 
didn't kind of possess that degree of sensitive resonance, the vibration action necessary to produce the power and quality of tone and melody that kind of were found in his instruments that he liked to do. So a further embellishment of his patent was that the heel of the neck was hollowed out to provide an additional sound chamber, which he hoped would offer improved tonal qualities. I mean, I think it did, right? I'd say it did a good job. Yeah, I mean, he's got some legendary pieces out there, but for me, it's interesting that it kind of started from the mandolin and kind of uh, derived everything and helped kind of really, you know, pave the path. I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So Orville's earliest instruments were quite unusual, especially during those times and featured carved soundboards, black painted surfaces, elaborate inlays and rims, which are also known as the ribs, and they were cut from solid pieces of wood again rather than being bent into their final shape like a lot of instruments were back then and i have to imagine throwing those black painted surfaces and you know the elaborate inlays and stuff like that was probably i don't know frowned upon but definitely was unique for those times because you see a lot of pictures of you know vintage old school instruments and for me the first thing that pops in are all those dark brown and just you know very woody looking Mm -hmm. ones so during the next following years orville continued to make instruments in his shop so we're now in the early 1900s he met several businessmen who wanted the opportunity to manufacture these mandolins and guitars of his design so in order to do so under the protection of orville's singular patent 1900 now we're in october 11th 1902 on this afternoon silvo 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 we're gonna go with silvo reams lewis a williams for more on Lewis, uh, see Lloyd Lore. For me, that's a little sketchy. He changed his name, and with the way things go down, I feel like you're going to probably realize why he did. Then you have Leroy Hornbeck, John W. Adams, Samuel K. Van Horn, and Orville H. Gibson. They all met at the county clerk's office to form a Partnership Limited Association, a PLA. Fundamentally, it was a business structure in which various investing members had limited liabilities for the gibson mandolin guitar manufacturing company limited i mean it's a basic name but i feel like they could have done better Mm. either way adams van horn and hornbeck were lawyers that were practicing in again here it is kalamazoo michigan reams and williams were both in the retail music business and saw the opportunity to capitalize on orville's creative talents So he and his company used music teachers to market the instruments, smart, and strong print advertisements to displace the round-backed mandolins. They were successful in the mandolin market. They eliminated the production of round-backed instruments in the U.S. His guitars were influential as well, obviously, as you know them today. And the guitar patterns are still recognizable in modern jazz guitars. His company, with the help of instrument designer and sound engineer Lloyd Lore, produced the Gibson F5 mandolin. It was acknowledged to be the finest flatback mandolin ever produced. Within a short period after the company was started, the board passed a motion that Orville H. Gibson be paid only for the actual time he works for the company. After that time, there is no clear indication whether he worked there full-time or as a consultant, but in 1904, another agreement followed which documented the payment of $2,500 from the partnership to Orville Gibson for the exclusive right for his patent. Through this arrangement, Orville sold his rights for a sum that would equal approximately $250,000 today. I still feel like it should be more. I feel like it should have been a lot more, but I guess if, if you're thinking in 1904, would you really expect in 2023 that this company, these instruments would still be such a big deal? I guess not. I mean, you take $250,000 in 1904, well, the equivalence of $250,000. 
a pretty good chunk of change for a guy that, you know, worked a couple of jobs on East Main Street and did what he was able to do and loved it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Orville continued his arm's length association with the company through 1907, earning most of his income from royalties. At this time, he worked on various projects as an inventor for a period of time and was even listed in the town directory as a music teacher. So then we're in 1908. The board agreed to pay Orville an annual fee of $500, which equivalates... Equivalent to? Equivalent to about $50,000 today. The payment of $2,500 was made in installments of... $41.99 $41.99 per month, which is about $503.88, according to my math, per year. Hmm. Which, I mean, $500 to 50 grand. So the guy was making about 50 grand a year mm-hmm. to the board. Yeah. So, I mean, he's getting $50,000 a year in 1900, equivalent to this time with inflation and everything, uh, $500. So, I mean, that's not a terrible thing for something that he created. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's something that money just can't buy, and that's uh, your health. And Orville's health was deteriorating during the time the company was getting underway. Various medical records do suggest that he was suffering from a chronic disease, loss of weight, and possibly a mental illness. According to state records, Orville had delusions of uh, persecution. He envisioned that different persons were actually trying to get at him. In one instance, Orville claimed that Reams, one of the five business uh, businessmen who purchased the company from Orville, kept stressing to him that a, a phonograph machine could be coupled with a silent motion picture machine. Imagine that. That's crazy to think that that would be so far-fetched back then. Right. And that he's envisioning this and everybody's saying it's a mental health. I mean, right. the, the guy's brain worked different, not only from his inventions and stuff. That's pretty wild. Then there was at the request of Orville's brother, Azro Orville was admitted to the Kalamazoo Hospital for extended periods in 1907 to 1909 for psychological treatment. As a result, the diminished mental capacity of Orville, the attorney general of the state of Michigan, assigned William R. Fox to be Orville's guardian to manage the personal and financial matters. Upon release from Kalamazoo Hospital, Orville moved back to New York State and settled in the town of Saranac Lake, where he lived at 24 Ampersand Ave for a period of about two years. Beautiful place. Beautiful. I mean, that'd be a good one. And kind of a callback to Lake Placid. You know, we had another person that was having mental issues. They went to Lake Placid, not too far from Saranac. A very kind of similar vibe with the mountains and just a great place to kind of, you know, get back on track mentally. Mm -hmm. So here he claimed that by moving to Saranac, his health did improve and his weight improved from 105 pounds when he left Kalamazoo all the way up to 150 pounds. Maybe I need to move to Kalamazoo for a little (laughs) bit. Uh, Much of which he attributed to healthier living and reduction of stress caused by people and problems that plagued him when he was in Kalamazoo. I could see that. So here we are, 1911, Orville moved further north to Ogdensburg, New York. There he was in the care of Dr. Medill in Franklin County in 1911. He was actually treated at the St. Lawrence State Hospital in Ogdensburg, which is on the St. Lawrence River about 80 miles then west of Shattagate. He was discharged after eight days on August 26, 1911, but he then returned to the hospital in 1916 and was discharged after another six days of care. So in and out of there, St. Lawrence Hospital, a potential episode coming up on that. One can only kind of wonder if Orville's unusual thought process might have influenced his equally unusual instrument designs. Just kind of crazy to think about that. Uh, Like kind of, I just mentioned that a mental health issue was seen then, which today it's just kind of being weird creative and just innovative innovative yeah so thankfully i guess they didn't put him on anything for Mm -hmm. that it is not known whether orville returned to kalamazoo his instrument work or to the company that had his name during the period from 1911 to 1918 when he was kind of going through these treatments it was august 21st 1918 10 10 a.m 
Orville H. Gibson died of a disease diagnosed as chronic endocarditis. He succumbed while being a patient at the St. Lawrence State Hospital in Augensburg, New York, then a hospital for major diseases. Today, it's known as the St. Lawrence Psychiatric Center, an institution for mental care. He was laid to rest at Morningside Cemetery in Malone, New York. After he was gone, the company continued to build the brand and remained a company that continued to be the first and think differently. By the 1930s, the company was also making flat top acoustic guitars, as well as one of the first commercially available hollow bodied electric guitars used and popularized by Charlie Christian. In 1944, Gibson was bought by Chicago Musical Instruments, CMI, which was acquired in 1969 by Panama based conglomerate Ecuadorian Company Limited, which was ECL, which then they changed the name in the same year to Norland Corporation. Gibson was owned by Norland Corporation from 69 to 1986. 1986, the company was acquired by a group led by Henry, we're going to go J. It, uh, it's a tough one to say. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not even going to try. Henry J. and David H. Berryman. In uh, 2018, the company was acquired by a group of investors led by private equity from Colbert, Kravis, Roberts. A lot of name changes, a lot of different companies, a lot of money, but it still appears to still have that Gibson value that was originally created by Orville, where they think differently and everything. So then Gibson sells guitars under a variety of brand names and builds one of the largest known guitars, the Gibson Les Paul. You'd like to have one of those, wouldn't you? I would. Well, man, someday, someday. (laughs) When Your Town Podcast really takes off, or if any of the listeners have just a Gibson Les Paul hanging around, please send it over so so I can play, but so Meg can play. All right, do it for Meg. (laughs) Uh, and Gibson was the forefront of innovation in acoustic guitars, especially in kind of the big band era, which was of the uh, in the 1930s. The Gibson Super 400 was widely imitated. 1952, Gibson introduced its first solid body electric guitar, the Les Paul, which became its most popular guitar still to this day. It was actually designed by a team led by Ted McCarty. Would you like one of those too? I just love the hollow body and semi-hollow body electric guitars. They Mm -hmm. just have a really rich, beautiful sound. They do. I mean, if anybody's got a Les Paul hanging around too, we jam out and maybe we'll even create a new just intro and song with that. I said maybe because it's probably not. But in addition to guitars, Gibson offers consumer electronics through the Gibson Pro Audio Division, which includes KRK. On May 1st, 2018, the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection and announced a a kind of a restructuring plan to return profitability by closing down unprofitable consumer electronics divisions such as Gibson Innovations. The company exited Chapter 11 same year, uh, November 2018. And this is all pre-COVID, so nobody can blame that COVID stuff for this. Then January 2020, the company launched Gibson TV, an online television network focused on guitars and music culture. The music industry might honestly not have been what it is today if it wasn't for a North Country native, Orville Gibson. I did not know about that, Gibson TV. I didn't know about it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'm very curious. Yeah, and obviously that would have came from COVID, you know, just a different way that companies evolved through a pandemic where everybody was in here, you know, sitting in studio, sitting in there, just consuming way too much TV. So they came out with that. I didn't know about it either. Super stoked that they didn't uh, have to go bankrupt and that they're continually uh, evolving. I think it's going to be proud. Sources, obviously, Wikipedia. We love our Wikipedia. And then a lot of this information and some of the research I, I, I... did find in a pretty cool website, Siminoff.net. And then it was just Orville Gibson. So a couple of cool 
things there. And as always, we're going to leave you with a uh, with a quote. The guitar is something you can hold and love, and it's never going to bug you. But here's the secret about the guitar. It's defiant. It'll never let you conquer it. The more you get involved with it, the more you realize how little you know. That quote was from Les Paul. Powerful. That is a good one. It's a good one. And this was a good one as well. Can't thank you enough, Meg, for joining Next week, you're going to either hear Meg and me, you're going to hear me and Zach, and that's the beauty of your town podcast. There's now three of us. Fortunately, you're going to continually to hear my voice. But we can't thank you enough for listening. Tell a friend. Give it a listen. Share it out there. Be a friend. Bring a friend. Share it to a friend. We greatly appreciate it. Or don't. That's cool, too. But either way, I'm Matt. That's Meg. Can't thank you enough. Till next time, that's the Your Town Podcast.